Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 334 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is August 25th, 2014. It is game week here on the Peristyle Podcast. USC versus Fresno State coming up on Saturday in the Coliseum. I know you're excited for that. We've got a big show for you this week on the podcast. Sean Salisbury, former USC quarterback. we got Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer, former head coach, Coach Harvey Hyde joining the show, too. Going to answer a lot of your USC football questions. Got a lot to get to. Those questions are great. So send them in. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can call us at 206-888-6755, or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. All right, well, let's get this show rolling with former USC quarterback Sean Salisbury, and he does now he's out there. You can get him on Yahoo Sports Radio. He's got a daily sports show and he trains quarterbacks uh in his spare time sean salisbury joining us now what's up sean how you doing Ryan? i'm doing great buddy it's that time of year again good to talk to you and uh, i'm looking forward to another awesome season my man yeah looking forward to it i got to chat with you and go on your show up in uh, baltimore at the five-star challenge which was a lot of fun so we haven't really talked yep. uh since then uh but i wanted to kind of get your thoughts going into we've seen sark you know for that past eight months or whatever he's been at usc and i, I for me i wasn't I wasn't overwhelmed with the hire, uh, but he's kind of won me over over these last eight months or so. I wanted to get what your thoughts of what Steve Sarkeesian has done since he arrived. You know, I've known him a long time, and I'm a fan, and I think at the time, I, I think your feelings were kind of what a lot of people felt. Okay, we know Sark, he's part of that Pete Carroll thing, and he kind of got affiliated with the Lane Kiffin thing, and I understand. It's not like when we, we look at Lane Kiffin as if he's, oh, not Lane Kiffin, you know, He's a pretty good football coach. Uh, <laughs> uh, Nick Say Nick Nick Saban ain't a half bad coach. He felt he was good enough offensive coach. I think, uh, coach, I think what happened with that is is Lane might have probably done some things. You know, not only when I say did some things, approached the job. It's hard when you get a job that good, that big, that early. Uh, you know, you're, you're you're learning on a run, and it didn't work out for him. Great recruiter, but it didn't uh, translate into wins on the field and you know winning over a team, but. You know, and Sark kind of got plugged into that. Even though he went to Washington, came back, well, wasn't he with Lane King? You know, we, we somehow put people in situations just because they were either on the staff. I, I like Sark. And I was the same way. I thought, oh, James Franklin or Chris Peterson. But, you know, if you take a look back, a guy who understood and understands the program, a guy who knows Southern California, a guy who saw Keith Carroll do what he did to the program, so understands how to approach it, um, He's got, uh, he, he, when I say young, you know, young enough, but also got some, uh, a few gray hairs now, which, which, uh, I think we all like. I think former players like him, even though he didn't play for us, former players like him because he treats former players. He was a former player. He gets it. And I think that, uh, that, that people like that. And I think he's extremely respectful, great recruiter like Lane was, but I think there's a little more, and this is not, done in a negative way, I think there's a little more flexibility with him. That doesn't mean that you're not stubborn and you don't do it your way, but we're at a time when you have to be flexible with the football players. 
you have to be flexible with the media. You have to be flexible with the alumni. You have to be flexible. And that doesn't mean getting your ass kissed or kissing somebody else's. It doesn't mean conforming because somebody said something. You still got to, that's what makes great coaches great. They're stubborn. They're single-minded when it comes to winning football games. And I think Sark's got some of that. And I know people were complaining, well, they didn't win the, you know, they won in a national title hunt when he was at Washington. Well, he didn't have great players at the time, some good ones, but not the, the, the whole thing. Kind of, I mean, kind of went through a little bit what SC did where, you know, maybe underachieved a little bit as a team, but he did some good things and he's a good developer. And here, here's why I like him. I, I think and when I'm looking at coaches, Ryan, I look at guys that are, that, that not only bring in talent, but develop it. I'm going to tell you what's happened at the University of Texas the last six years or five years or more is the reason they struggle, not because they don't get five-star recruits, because they do. Now, they've lost some to Texas A&M, but when they got there, they went from five-star recruits to, to three-star recruits. They, they, didn't, they, they got worse. And a guy like uh, Bill Snyder at Kansas State, and I love Mac Brown, don't misunderstand me, but the, the uh, staff, it started to get it stale. And they, didn't, they, did not, they did not develop players. And look at Kansas State. They'll get two- and three-star recruits, and then by the end of the year, they're 10-1, and 11-1, and, and everybody's talking about it. Bill Snyder does a great job. And there is a difference. There's great recruiters, there's great X's and O's guys, and then there's great developers of, of, of talent. And if you got all three, then you probably are the head coach at Alabama named Nick Saban and a few others. So I, I, I think Sark is a good developer of players, and I think he'll have plenty to work with at SC. So I think we all oftentimes said, oh, man, Sark, I love him, but I think that you start to hang around him and see what he's about and understands the tradition of SC and Ryan, you and I have talked about this. You know how that alumni is. It's like they want that guy who, who bleeds what they bleed, uh, who, who, who thinks like they think, who understands when they say it's Trojan football, uh, that they mean it, and, and former players and the rest of it. And I think Sark, for, and I don't mean this, but I put in quotes, an outsider, meaning he wasn't part of the program as a player, but he kind of was because he coached there during some of our best times. So I love him. I think he's going to be fine. And you know what? You know how sexy it gets. It's that girl who had headgear braces on when she was in the seventh grade, <laughs> eighth grade. By the time she's a senior, I mean, you, you saw all the potential. You get some good, you know, she's like, wow, man, she's really nice and smart. And then take the headgear off because she had to get braces in the eighth grade. And, uh, and by about the 11th grade, every guy in school's like, oh, man. <laughs> like, I, I should have made her my girlfriend when she had braces on, you know. And I think Suck's got, and, and I think Suck's got that in him, meaning – He's really talented, and we know the potential, and he gets it, and he's had some great success. Um, but, man alive, now it's his program. It's a monster program. Now the braces are off, and people will start to see. And you know how it is. We can say all this now. Got to go in. Right. Steve knows that. And that, that's one thing. But I do love, when I say flexible, I like a guy who, if you've got 85 guys, which they don't, obviously, because <laughs> the thing, but if you start to get 85 scholarship players and start to do it, or 65 or 70, that you play to your talent. I've always believed that every level that I've played at, or, you know, people I coach or or broadcast at, the greatest coaches I've ever been around, they don't try to plug a score pit into a round. Oh, you don't take an option quarterback and say we're throwing 40 times. You don't take a, especially if it's not your recruits yet, you're new at, you're new there and you've got three classes of somebody else's recruits. Or you don't take a left, a left guard who, can't get in the left-handed stance and turn him into a uh, – and you can't get in the right-hand stance making the right tackle if he's not versatile enough to do it. You don't run one tailback if you got four that can do it and one's not durable enough. So 
there's a lot of different things, and you know he'll use some backfield by committee. He and I think it's important to be flexible. We're not at a time when 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 uh, the great Santini, you know, the old movie, the great Santini, or really I think it was Robert Duvall. You don't you don't get it. Or I think it was Duvall, but I can't remember the movies where you know it's it's my way or the highway. My way or the highway doesn't work anymore with 18, 19 year old kids. It just doesn't. With parents, kids, assistant coaches, they got to know whose program it is, and in the process of knowing whose program it is, they got to believe that no matter what, that it's they that, that they're a part of it. That they're not being that, it, that it's, they're not being talked at. They're being talked to. And I think Sark's better at that. I think he's better at that than Lane was. And Lane will learn. He'll be head coach again, but he's better at it. And I think that's important. And and I think that Sark's better with the media. He's he's a, he's a little less gruff. And you know, I mean, when he's when things aren't going well, he'll still talk to you. He's not a, he's not one of those guys. So I know this is a long answer, but when you're talking about the head coach of USC, it's important. I think that the flexibility will help. I really do. A lot of great stuff in there, and makes a lot of sense. And. uh you know, one the, so the coach looks like, like I said, he won me over. He seems like you uh, like the direction the program's going with him, but he does have to win on Saturdays. His quarterback, yeah. I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that. Cody Kessler, you know, wasn't named the starter until the third game of the year last year. It seemed like it stunted his development a little bit, but got better. He's looked pretty good throughout the spring and the summer and, and fall camp. And what are your expectations for Cody Kessler going into this season? Uh, some quantum leaps this year, I, I, and I, I'm, a, I'm a quantum leap guy, and I don't mean you skip over points B and C from A to get to D. you got to get through points B and C, but you go from A to D a lot quicker than you would if you weren't making those quantum leaps. And I, I actually interviewed him and talked to him a couple, what, month, maybe a month and a half ago, a month ago, and specifically focused on a couple things as I wanted to get his answer and wanted to kind of feel him out and, you know, I've watched him many times play. I didn't watch him in spring practice, and I haven't seen him in fall practice. But on Saturdays, I've watched him, well, every game he's played. And I, you know, as I mentioned, and we spent time talking about leadership and spent time talking about making these, the simple play. And, Ryan, don't underestimate that to me. And I think that's his next level. I do. And there it is the next level. We know he's a guy's big, you know, good size, can throw it. He got invaluable experience, although he may not have started until, you know, the week three but invaluable experience through some good times and bad times when things were rough. That's what I, another thing that I love about this. You didn't get a job. I mean, no offense, but if Jacob Coker gets the job at Alabama and they, and they do start him, I know there's a little competition going on from the, for the transfer from Florida State, but he's not exactly stepping into a controversial cupboard. Now, A.J. McCann will be tough to replace, but you could, you could pencil me in there right now in Alabama <laughs> probably win in 10 games. I mean, they just, it's a machine. So, but when when you threw Cody in there, you know, one coach, who's going to be the coach? Is it this guy? We just lose this system. We got another coach. This is, this coach starts out, and they make another coach. Now they hired another coach. I mean, I like a quarterback who's been kicked in the teeth. I always do. Always have. Always like the quarterback that's been kicked in the teeth. The people question. They bring in high big time recruits. Got to compete with Max Brown. You know, was competing. You know, was competing while he was there. Had to earn the job as a guy who wasn't given the job. I mean. All kinds of things, and Ken went through a coaching change during the season. Went through another coaching change in the off season. Bam, 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 and now look at him. I like that. I like that because that tells me late in the game that he can handle this crap. And it is can and times it can be crap, and it'll be times when it's muddy. You don't know what's going on. But hell, what what hasn't he been through? He's been through picks and games he didn't need to throw. Been through coaching changes. Been through lack of scholarship. Been through losing talent. He's seen injuries. 
He's, he's seen competition. He's seen the number one recruits come in and have to battle him in spring practice. All of it. I love it. That's number one. Number two is the ability to lead players no matter what's going on. And people talk about great coaches know how to manage a team. Bull. I mean, a man, you manage things and you lead people. And there is a major difference. You manage paperwork and who's signing the paychecks and what coffee's being in a doggone, you know, in, in the, what coffee they're serving in the executive assistant's office and in the conference room, down the locker room, what the helmets are and his equipment manager who got out the right cleat side. That's management. And you manage those things. But great quarterbacks, great CEOs, great coaches lead people and manage things. And I think for Cody, the next level is for those guys to believe that no matter what's going on, and we, I think we know what the answer is going to be, but we don't. He's still got to play. I could care less about what he did in the fall. I mean, in, in, in practice. Could care less. I know a bunch of guys that are practice field All-American. I'm not just talking about him. I'm talking about anybody. From Davis Winston to Brett Hundley to Marcus Mariota. I don't care what they look like. I know rhythm. But when, when, when scout cards are up there and they know that they're supposed to throw it to the right guy, I care when it's nut cutting time. And they're down by six. Well, then what goes on? And we know with those guys I just mentioned what does. So for Cody, the next thing is to, I know when UCLA's down by five, that Hunley's got it, that they're down by two touchdowns early, that they got a chance. I know that Mariota keeps them in play. I know that Bryce Petty at Baylor is going to throw you back into it. I, I, those things we know. Do we, I think we know about Cody Kessler, but leadership will be that part that when you're playing your worst, and the fans are saying, put the Max Brown and put the highly recruited kid from Sarah and put, you know, don't do that, but you can withstand it. And so I think when talking to him and getting it, I think his leadership is mature, recognizing that you must make sacrifices for your teammates. And I, and I get the hunch that he has, and that there's kind of a belief that, man, this was our guy during some really good, some really crappy times when, 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 when things were going on. And then finally, the number one thing is, and I tell every quarterback I train this at any level, and a lot of my quarterbacks and my high school quarterbacks, many of them start their Friday night this week. I'd say one thing. I'd say you're in it to win for sure. I say, but play boring football. And they kind of look at me when I first start. I say, play me boring football. And they don't, they don't really know what that means because we're in the time of the dual threat, exciting. And Johnny Manziel put the ball down and go run for 40 yards. And then you know, the ball bounces back up into your hand and you throw it and get a 20-yard gain. All that's fine and dandy. But if you can't hit a, you know why Johnny Manziel's not the starting quarterback in Cleveland? Because in game two, he couldn't hit a third and six crossing route to Josh Gordon or a, or a slant route on first and 10. And he'll take it over. But my point is, look at all the, play me boring football. The spectacular plays come. You throw a hitch route to a, a wide receiver who's a, a 10, a, you know, a, a 9 8, 10 flat, flat sprinter and is, a, is a, the best high school receiver in the country. He'll make something happen. You turn and pitch the ball to the running back. He'll make something happen. Well, they got 80 numbers and 20 numbers and 30 numbers on their jerseys because they're athletes. Well, when you got the best welfare, if you're Peyton Manning on a six-yard hitch route, you hit him. Make it second and four. Make it third and two. Can't play in long yardage. Can't take sacks. Can't do that. Play boring football. The best quarterbacks in this league that I know, Breeze, Brady, Manning, Luck, Russell Wilson, I mean, the best quarterbacks in this league make the simple play. And they all, and the great ones always have. And, you know, Manning ain't, Manning's not beating you with his feet, but he'll sidestep a pass rush, slide, get a six-yard cross, or they'll get 12 yards out of it. That's a spectacular play. 
you don't know. And I'll tell you what's got Robert Griffin the third in trouble. Keeps trying to make the spectacular play. And Kirk Cousins has outplayed him. And right now, if the Redskins truly, if they were playing the guy who's the best quarterback right now, not the most talented, the best, Kirk Cousins would start when the season opens. Wow. Yeah. Is, he more talented? Is he more talented? No. But he makes the boring play. Throws it out of, throws it out of bounds. Throws, throws it away. Doesn't take a sack in field goal range. Knows how to slide and get down so he doesn't have an injury in this two series. And that's what he's got to do. If, if, if he will do that, if Cody Kessler can get plenty of town, he'll have plenty of they'll have plenty of weapons around him. They'll use it, like I said, they'll they'll run the football and they'll keep him, try to keep him in, in rhythm. But for him to make the boring football play. And a great quarterback's been around and talked to him, they make the simple play. The spectacular plays always kind of you can you can you can give me a guy who makes four spectacular plays in a game, but is six out of ten in the boy or eight or five out of ten in the boring plays, I, I won't win many games. I'll win once in a while. But give me the guy who eight out of ten times makes the boring play, and then once in a while mixes in the spectacular play. I'm gonna I'm gonna be like that running back who gives you four yards, four yards, four yards, four yards, two yards, four yards, six yards, twenty-seven yards, four yards, four yards. By the end of it, he's got thirty carries for 130 yards, and you say, what was his longest run? 18 yards. And then he rushes for 1,500 yards, and when it's third and two and we need the first down, he gets it. But give me that back who's spectacular and thinks he's got to make every play on third and two. Then he sees the hole, bounces, leaves the hole too quick, isn't patient enough. We lose a yard, now it's fourth and three, and we got to punt. The same thing at quarterback. If he will play boring football and make the simple play, the USC chose will shock some people that are supposed to be in the national title hunt this year. Oh, great stuff there, Sean, on Cody Kessler. And, uh, you know, talking about quarterbacks, uh, we saw, we're saw we seeing at Fresno State now, because it's game week, we want to talk about the game a little bit before we let you go. Um, Derek Carr's gone, legendary quarterback at Fresno State. They still have not named Tim DeRuiter, the head coach there, still hasn't named a starter. They have a transfer, Duke, from Duke coming in, uh, Cornette, and, uh, and Brian Burrell, who I got to see a bunch of in the spring. Uh, who's a JC transfer at uh, Bakersfield College, I believe it was. So they still have a neighbor starter there. What are your expectations for for that program? Uh, their their offense is really exciting, but trying to replace Derek Carr seems like a big challenge. It is a huge challenge, and remember this: an offense is really exciting if you got a quarterback who can lead it. Yeah. <laughs> that's the problem. It all looks good. I'll tell you what I know: when you have a name a quarterback this late, and and this is not disrespect to coach, they don't have one. They they, they don't have one. That's why. Even in Cleveland, going back to the San Antonio stuff and comparing, you know why the Cleveland Browns now want to, they're talking about putting four or five packages and get Johnny Manziel mixed in with Hoyer? Because if you got two, you don't have one. And when I say that, I mean, is it great to have a backup that's a great player? Of course. But I've got to have a starter that separates himself from the pack, and he's my guy. And with two, with the junior college science with Quinnett from Duke, I mean, they don't have one. How do you go through spring practice? How do you, I mean, how do you go through all the fall? You're less than a week away from playing a monster football team that, it, you know, in the past you've beaten way back in the Trent Dilfer days that it'd be an unbelievable – and you don't have a quarterback to line up with. And I'm not buying the fact that, well, they, you know, even if they do know that they're high and they don't want to ask you to prepare for – prepare for what? We know what Florida State does. Doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure <laughs> out what uh, – not Florida State, what Fresno State does. And they're going to do the same thing they did last year. The problem is – doesn't look like they're going to be able to execute it as well. But if you're FC, you've got to approach this as if if as if the starter, I don't care if it's Burrell, it doesn't matter, that, that he's going to play like Derek Carr. And that's how you approach games like this because it would be easy now to get caught up in, hey, they don't have a quarterback. How are they going to beat us? We're aggressive. we got a good front seven. We'll rush the passer. We'll get after it. 
But, yeah, that's hard. And I'll tell you another reason why. Is if you're a Fresno State football player, the other 10 dudes on offense and the guys on defense, who's your leader? Right now, who you look to? Who's my guy? Because I promise you, in situations like that, it's a locker divided. Not that they hate the other guy, but we all have clicks. I can assure you that 40-some guys or 30 guys want one dude, and 40 dudes want the other dude. Or 50 want one and 30 want the other, and they want the guy who's going to make a play. And what coach has been waiting for at Fresno State, for somebody to grab it around the throat and squeeze it and, and play the boa constrictor and squeeze the air out of it and say, this is my job, and they have it. So this, this, this isn't some ploy, ooh, FC can't prepare. Give me a break. All you got to do is go back and look at Derek Carr film and say, here's how they're going to attack us. The question is, can the guy pulling the trigger throw it like him and make decisions like him and get the ball out of their hand as quick as him? Fresno State better find one quicker. It's going to be a long season for a for a team that, you know, with the numbers they can put up when they had Derek Carr, they can they they, they disrupt and then beat good teams. So I'm anxious to see. But if your F's don't get caught up into this, they're not very good because they don't have a quarterback. Because we may, who knows? Sometimes guys aren't great practice players, and all of a sudden the light switch goes on, and bam! Yeah, you you, you hit the ground running, you get confident. You get hot for two quarters, and before you know it, there's a huge upset. So um, I never like this. I don't like a two-quarterback system, number one, and I don't, I'm not saying they're going to use it, but I've never liked it. And I've always been a guy that the sooner I can announce who my guy is, that doesn't mean he doesn't have to keep competing and the backup can't take his job because it's all about game to game. Hey, even Cody Kessler. If Cody Kessler goes one and three, you don't think Sarkeesian is going to think about making a switch? Of course he is. Yeah. That's called life. That's why we chose the position as quarterback. That's why it's the toughest, hardest, highest-paid position when you're in the pros and in college, it's toughest. That, that's why, because that's what we do, and that's what quarterbacks do. So you got to keep that gig. you, you got to keep that gig. So in Fresno, even though the guy gets it, he starts off those three picks in the first half at SC, and maybe the second guy. So if he, if he got two in a situation like that, you ain't got one, which means that the USC, obviously the advantage, Fresno State concerned, but they better find somebody because right now we're in practice game reps and that, that, that game's coming in a hurry. So I'm anxious to see how Fresno State replaces a guy like who, who probably by the end of the year will be starting in Oakland uh, as Derek Carr, if not by next year. So you, you lose a guy like that, you've got a lot to – not everybody's as lucky as Baylor lose RG3 and get Bryce Petty. Yeah. Most of the normal people in the world got to find a good player to replace him, and it isn't easy. Look at Texas A&M. Like they had to wait before Kenny Hill or Kyle Allen, and bam, Kenny Hill gets it. But they're not sure. They don't know either. So it's, it's tough. It's a hard position to judge, especially until real bullets are flying. And when Derek Carr taking all the snaps, for the most part last year, uh, they're, they're in a hell of a competition. They're coming up. It's not like they're playing Slippery Rock <laughs> first game. they got to play SC. So uh, not the Slippery Rock's not good, but this is, a different, this is a different world they're playing in without a starting quarterback right now. And it's fresh in USC fans' minds because it happened last year with, you know, Max Wittick and, and Cody Kessler, and you saw that Absolutely. it didn't work out well, you know. It, and, I, and, and, who, who, and who was the front runner in that one? Max was. Yeah. And that's another thing going back to Cody. You make a good point. We talked about competition from in this spring. But think about he, he, he had to take that job. Somebody felt and sometimes coaches go on guts. And, you know, Cody's got a great situation. He just got to play well. And, you know, when everybody says, wow, when we started this, that we're done now, or we're going to win a national title. No, hell, it is a grind. I've seen plenty of guys play well in two starts. And I'm not talking about Cody. I'm talking about a lot of quarterbacks. Then when you give them the job and hand them the, 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 the gear shift and the steering wheel, 
it's like, ooh, now I got to do it for 15 weeks or 16 weeks or 12 weeks or 11 weeks. It's different to sustain it. But Cody's been through some tough times, and I like it. Fresno State only wishes they had one of our guys that could go run their quarterback right now. And, Sean, I, I, we've taken up too much of your time, but I wanted to mention something real quick. On the recruiting trails, I'm, you know, I'm out there covering high school football, and I've run into the Edison High School football coach in Fresno, uh, Matt Johnson, a few times. And he, he, always, he's a big, he went to SC, big SC guy, and we get to talking. And I end up having to text you or call you one night because he was telling me so many stories about hanging out with you and how great of a guy you were. So he was, he was kind of reliving his college memories and, and living a lot of it through you. It was, it was a pretty funny experience. <laughs> I, you know what? You're talking about a guy who, if I had three best friends in the world that I keep, well, man, he was my roommate my entire career at SC. And Matty, you know, who was working with Tim McDonald, now Tim's in the NFL. Matt, do you know what's funny about that, um, Brian, is all our life, you know what Matt always said he wanted to do? He said, I would like to, you know, coach special teams, be a football coach. He always wanted to do it, always. And then, you know, he goes and works with Tim McDonald, then bam, Tim hires him, and now he's a head coach at a really good high school, getting kids recruited and going. He is a one of me. well, he was my, he's been my best friend for 30-plus years now. And I love him. I'm so proud of him. I'm actually want to surprise him and go up and watch his team play on Friday. But he was made for that. He used to practice his pregame speeches. You know, my senior year, he was our defensive MVP, uh, at FC, a lot of these, he'd, play, he'd be one of those sports quizzes. You know, you think about the Del Rios and Dickets and Chip Banks and Ronnie Lott. Matt Johnson was a, was, was a defensive MVP for us. So he was really, really, he's a special guy. His family was like second family to me. And, oh, we got stories that we can tell and stories that we can't. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, I'm so glad if you talk to him in the next few weeks before I do, please tell him I love him. And he is uh we had some unbelievable times together, and he's a dear friend. If I ever get married again, he'll be standing in the line as um, as he would have, like the farewell, as I was his best man the first time around. This is a special guy in my life, and I'm proud of him. That's awesome. Thanks. I just wanted to kind of share that with a Trojan story. It was it was really entertaining for me, and I, I know it was fun for you guys to kind of reconnect and stuff. But thanks so much. For, I know you're driving. You're on the road doing all your – got to get to your radio show, driving from Dallas to Houston. But thanks so much for carving out some time, Sean. It's always great to get your insight. Rod, I look forward to talking to you all season long. Thank you very much, and uh, it's always a pleasure, and it's time for the real stuff, my man, so I can't wait. I appreciate you including me. All right, thanks so much, Sean. Yeah, football is here. We're going to talk some more football again back in a minute on the Peristyle Podcast. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back on the Peristyle Podcast. Got Dan Weber, uscfootball.com, beat writer, joining the show. And I got to chat a lot with former USC quarterback Sean Salisbury in the last segment, Dan. A lot of fun. It was He's a, he's a talker, man. He, he has his opinions. It's great. It's good to, uh, to get to hear from him. But he's pretty uh, excited about this upcoming season for USC. That's great. I mean, I think... Like- 
more and more people are. I don't know. Somebody uh, said the other day that a couple of guys, David Pollack and uh, the, uh, the, I'm trying to think of who his partner was on ESPN, both picked USC to make the you know, the 14 playoffs. So uh, wow. and, uh, David Pollack, Georgia guy, you know. Uh, so uh, there are people that are looking, you know, and I think you look at USC one way and you say, man, there's a lot of talent there. You look at them the other way and you say, wait a minute, this is the end of the sanctions. They got 64, you know, originally recruited scholarship players available. How can they be that good? You know, so people, if you're on the outside a little bit right now, you're looking at USC and, and you don't know what to make of them. You know, it's a team with an awful lot of talent, and it's a team with issues that you think have to be there. Uh, I mean, if you go on some other uh, rivals boards, uh, and I don't mean with a capital R, I mean USC's rivals, <laughs> and look at some of their fans. Uh, they're just giddy at the fact that USC is being forced to start two uh, freshman offensive linemen for the first time ever, and are absolutely, you know, certain that that's a sign of, you know, ultimate uh, doom because uh, they can't possibly, um, you know, survive, uh, you know, with a team that has two uh, freshmen starting or three. Uh, if you, you know, throw in a Jenny Harris. Uh, that that's a sign of, uh, you know, they got they just don't have enough players. So we'll see. It, it is hard, though. You know, see, it's a, this is not an easy pick uh, if you're outside uh, and looking at them and saying, you know, how good is this team going to be? Um, we're going to jump into, you mentioned uh, the, the three freshman starters. We have a question about the depth chart that was released, and so I'm going to play this one for you, and then we'll talk about it. Here we go. Hey, Ryan, this is Ray from San Clemente. Hey, I'm looking for a 2014 football depth chart. Um, I wanted to be able to take it to the game with me on Saturday against Fresno State. Can you just give a quick reply to this on, on air? Thank you. Bye. And, uh, yeah, Dan, I mean, you could talk about this too, but Dan put up a story. Uh, if you check on the Peristyle message board and other message boards, I put up the, the actual depth chart there. We don't have the – you know, that, now we're part of Scout, so I'm, I'm building one that's going to be like a permanent addition on the site that we haven't – we don't have that one in there yet. But we'll release one every week when USC releases their depth chart on Sunday and kind of put it up there. And, and so Dan wrote a great story. You can check that out. It's a, a free story on the depth chart, so you don't even have to be a subscriber on uh, uscfootball.com. You can check it out there. But, yeah, it was, it was an interesting first depth chart, I thought, Dan. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, a couple of things didn't make an entirely lot of sense, and a couple of things were, you know, one of a kind. I mean, the first time ever since they've been keeping records, they're going to start two uh, true freshmen in the offensive line. They're going to start three uh, true freshmen on uh, on offense. Uh, uh, wide receiver Jenny Harris, is, he's been showing ever since he's gotten here that he uh, he belongs out there, and uh, it's a kid <laughs> – you know, that played quarterback last year. It's just unbelievable uh, uh, what he's done. And, uh, and then you have the, both guards. So Max Turk got, you know, kind of interestingly got his work cut out for him because he's got a true freshman on, on the left side, Toa Lobanon, and a true freshman on the right side, Damian Mama, who is replacing a redshirt freshman in Khalil Rogers, who we don't expect his MCL uh, to probably be 100% by uh, Saturday. So, uh uh, should be interesting, uh, Damian Mama, and you know, running 80 or 85 plays. We'll see how that goes. Uh, he's very confident that it that it's going to go well. But uh, uh, very uh, interesting depth chart. I mean, things like uh, Hayes Pollard listed as one of the uh, five kickoff returners, uh, <laughs> probably a short. You know, going to be the 
uh, if they uh, if they pooch tick it, maybe uh, Hayes will uh, Hayes will grab that thing and go. He does run it like you know the high school fullback he was. And uh, uh, another one, one that we couldn't quite figure out was uh, uh, Quentin Powell, third on the uh, you know the outside linebacker, yeah. uh, but behind Yusef uh, Nwisu. And so I mean he's played really well. And another freshman who really looks like he belongs out there, but uh, kind of interesting. Uh, you know, and and another fact that basically now the defensive front is going to have both uh, uh, Scott Felix and uh, J.R. Kavai. Uh, so uh, and, and and just the the sense that those two are going to be on the field a lot together and complement one another. And uh, so I guess that's uh, those are some of the highlights, I guess. All right, um, let's go. We're going to get to some of these questions here. This is from Lee. He says I. First, I have to say how much I love your opening to the podcast. Hello, Trojan fans. has now become iconic during my Monday, Tuesday morning commute. Well, thank you for that, Lee. Uh, I've been swamped with work, so I haven't been able to send in a question for a long time, but I've listened to the podcast every week, just haven't had time to write in. Uh, after listening to Dan Weber in the, the last podcast talk about how he thought the offensive line has proved itself worthy over spring, summer, and fall camp, I have a question specifically about Andre Walker. He's a big-time recruit coming out of high school. Started many games, missed many due to injury, but seems to not have lived up to the hype. Sarkeesian was even quoted as saying that Andre needed to assert himself with injuries to Khalil Rogers, who was a redshirt freshman. And will that give Andre Walker a chance at redemption? I love the podcast and appreciate what you do to the non-local USC fans who hang on every word and article. Wow. Thanks, Lee, for that. And uh, Dan, what do you think about Andre Walker? Well, I think what it says is this is probably a good sign that just because he is a veteran, a senior, uh, you know, a former starter, he didn't, uh, you know, have enough uh, on, you know, field, uh, uh, you know, activity to show that he deserves to be out there. And, uh, you know, he's probably coming back a little bit. You know, we saw him in the middle of the summer and he thought, okay, he's coming back, but he didn't make a lot of progress after that. He's made some and he's made some recently, but not enough to beat out the freshman. And that's what I think is probably the good sign is, you know, there might've been in years past where uh, just returning would have been enough. Uh, I mean, I think it happened with Andre in his second year when he was a starter and, uh, you know, didn't practice much in August and still was able to start. And that's not the case anymore uh, with these freshmen. Uh, they're going to compete for those spots. I think there's more, True competition. I mean, it's the big, big advantage of running so many plays and practices. You really do get a chance to compete for those spots. It's not they're not just doled out, you know, based on uh, how you were recruited or where you were recruited. You basically have to win those spots, and the freshmen, you know, won those spots. And uh, you know, if Andre you know wants to play, he's going to have to beat somebody out, or he's going to have to push him real hard. And the same with Jordan Simmons, and they're also coming back from injuries. Now, those two, that gives you two guys that, that you know, you, you would certainly be glad to, you know, have them out there and, and you know, if and when they deserve to be out there. And uh, But uh, they're going to have to compete and work hard and, and, and get out there. Uh, and I like, I like that. I mean, it wasn't a case of you get to be out there because you deserve, you know, you deserve to be out there for anything other than, you know, competing and beating somebody out. All right, let's go to Kevin in South Orange County. He says, first, congrats on the move. Thanks very much. So he's talking about our move from 
uh, to scout.com, which uscfootball.com is now a part of and excited to do that. He said, excited for the reunion with Dan and Gerard. Yes, the gang is all back together, so that's great. Um, he's got a new next-door neighbor, and he's a big podcast fan, so that's good. Could you shout-out to my dude Chad for me this week? Okay, Chad, shout-out to you. You are next-door neighbors with Kevin in South Orange County. Hope you guys are enjoying the show. And Kevin has two questions, Dan. First, he's super surprised Quentin Powell not being a starter at Sam. What happened between him pushing Ruffin in and uh, day in and day out as a man there and now being third string as he was named yesterday? We don't know the, the absolute answer to your question. Uh, enough of a surprise to us uh, as well. I mean, they, I will say this. It's hard keeping track. I mean, here we are. We were pretty, you know, on top of the situation last year because they played, as you know, 13, 14 guys in a lot of games. And uh, you really knew how the defense was going. It wasn't going to go anywhere. It was pretty much the way it was. And uh, you watch them now. And I know uh, – uh, who was it? Was I guess it was Justin Wilcox showed me their play, uh, practice plan one day, and they had 24 plays in 11 minutes. And he said, "There's no way you can run, you know, the same guys. Can't just do that." And he said, "We're going to substitute just continuously." So in practice, they're substituting so much that it, you don't always get a sense. You get a sense of who's out there to start, but you're not always, uh, you know, have a sense of who's out there and why and when and, and all of that. So. Um, I, you know, I think it, it says one good thing about, uh, you know, Uchenna, but uh, what it says, I don't I don't absolutely know. It'll be one of the things we'll talk to him about this week uh, as to how that how that position lines up. I will say this. We may be overemphasizing starters because last year, if you weren't a starter, you might not get in uh, on defense especially. And even, you know, at wide receiver that now, you know, guys are all excited about who's, who's listed where on the depth chart, but uh, they basically look at it, say at wide receiver, they look at it, we got nine wide receivers and going to play them all. So, you know, it's not all that, when you watch practice, it's not all that, you know, critical that you're the first guy or the second guy or whatever. Uh, those guys are all on the field, and they're in and out and, and all kinds of, you know, packages and, and constantly, you know, substituting, and they're, they're going to do it on defense, although – we're going to have to wait and see exactly how it works in games on defense, I think. I think we have a sense of how they're going to do it on offense. But uh, defense, uh, I think it's a good question. I don't know that it's one we've got an uh, absolute answer to. The second part was, is there been any, excuse me, has there been any discussion about redshirting Lamar Dawson? Seems like he may not be ready until week five. Why not get him ready for next year if we stay healthy? I think the game plan right now is, uh, as a senior, to get him ready uh, to give him the first three weeks, uh, three games, and then the bye week. And then, as you say, see what goes from there. I think they feel like if they get him for nine games, plus a bowl game or nine games and a championship game and a bowl game, that's still a pretty good year. I mean, he could play uh, 11 games. So... uh, that would be pretty, uh, you know, and, and with the sense of here's a kid that could probably, you know, play a couple of different spots inside. I'm not sure he couldn't play outside even. So he may be, be the kind of guy that you would – I wouldn't make that decision at all right now unless you know – and they think he's fairly close to, to getting, uh, you know, medically cleared. Uh, just that it's come along slower, and you can just tell he's not, he's not right. 
But uh, if they could get that many games out of Lamar, I think they'd probably be, be really happy. But uh, but you're right. I think that's always going to be a possibility in uh, in his case because you lose Hayes, and uh, and so that may be a you know a viable option and might be an attractive one when you get into October. All right, Dad. Well, we got um, want to talk about Fresno State a little bit and any thoughts that you've had on this team. But um, since the, I got to cover them this last year, I'm actually running the Fresno State. Uh, scout site now, so I'm, but I haven't really got to dig into it this fall because this transition's kind of taken up all my time. But uh, we're going to have a podcast uh, later in the week with uh, Jackson Moore and Josh Webb, who are helping me run the Fresno State scout site. So we're going to get their thoughts. They've been out to fall camp practice. I was up there in the spring, got to see them practice then, but they've added a new quarterback since then. They still haven't named a quarterback. Um, but there, I was talking with Sean Salisbury in the last segment, Dan, about some of the parallels where. You know, last year, there wasn't a quarterback named. You're replacing Matt Barkley. Uh, they didn't name a quarterback until the third game of the season. Obviously, that didn't turn out so well at the beginning of the year. Fresno State's replacing Derek Carr, a legendary quarterback there. They still haven't named a quarterback. No one really kind of won the job in the spring. Brian Burrell was the J.C. transfer from Bakersfield that had won, but now they added, the you know, Cornette, the, the Duke transfer. He's a, you know, fifth-year senior. He can come in and just play right away. They still don't have a starter as of, the time we're taping this, not sure if they'll name it before the game or not, but there's some parallels there to what USC did last year and what Fresno State's kind of going through this year. Well, and, and I think uh, the uh, uh, Fresno B kind of slammed DeRuiter for not naming one, uh, as if, uh, and I guess the, the thrust of it was, oh, he really knows, he's just not telling anybody, he doesn't want USC to know or whatever. I'm, I'm guessing that's probably not true. Uh, I'm guessing, uh, you know, that that he's just going to try to, you know, I mean, if you're not ready to go with a, with a guy, I don't, I think you should be able to know. But, but, but I mean, I thought we knew last year, and, and, you know, I think I wrote two weeks before the season started, and it took four more weeks before they named Cody Kessler as the quarterback. Right. But uh, I'm not sure if they know up there. I mean, I think I always thought with uh, a Duke transfer – who gets his degree at Duke and goes to a, a grad school at Fresno State, he may be the only person in the history of the world who got his undergraduate degree at Duke <laughs> and then went to Fresno for grad school. Uh, so and I just don't think, you know, I mean, but how important is that? I mean, I just looked at their depth chart, and it does stop you a little bit when you see a depth chart that doesn't have any running backs. You know, four, uh, four receivers, uh, no running back. Uh, so, um and maybe they just got cut off of the depth chart. I don't know, but I couldn't find a running back. So they're gonna, they're gonna, somebody's gonna be out there throwing it a lot. Uh, we just don't, we just don't know who that person is. Uh, but uh, uh, I think with USC, we look at that and say, could you have two more contrasting uh, first two games against, uh, you know, then you go to Stanford the next week. I mean, you couldn't be any more. Uh, you know, a, a different a look uh, for USC, which is probably a good thing that they really have done so much with, uh, you know, the nickel and the double nickel and moving uh, Sue Cravens around and all that, because that's how they're going to have to, you know, you have to defend one team that's going sideline to sideline and throwing it, you know, most of the time, hurry up, and then you're going to have Stanford lining up with, uh, you know, four tackles and trying to jam it down your throat. So uh, it'll be an interesting uh, – Interesting challenge, but uh, but you do look and you realize uh, USC is a whole lot bigger in a, in a lot of ways. And where they're bigger, uh, when you look at the numbers, they're just they got taller kids, rangier kids. 
probably more athletic kids. Uh, uh, when you get down to, the, say, the next level of recruiting, you get more of the 6'3 kids, uh, you know, the 6'2 kids, uh, as opposed to those kids you don't see as much at USC, and we kind of get used to, you know, what we're looking at. But there is a kind of a little bit of a difference in uh, – and athleticism, which I think played out last year in Las Vegas, that you always, you know, USC came ready to play, played really hard, and you could tell they got better athletes uh, at almost every every spot. So we'll see how that, you know, how that plays out this week. But uh, I think it's a, I think it's a great opener. I just think it's exactly uh, having played them in the last game last year. It's a perfect measuring you know, a tool against uh, where where is this team. And uh, I think it's just exactly uh, the kind of team you'd, you'd want to open against. The uh, I, I Josh uh, Webb did post on uh, the Bark Board, which is the Fresno State scout site. Um, they do have a running back list. They have it's a, or Josh Cozada uh, or Martez Waller. So those are the same kind of guys from last year. Um, they had three wide receivers listed. One tight end, and at least on the, the depth Good, chart. Okay, so my depth chart must have cut off because I kept looking and, and trying to say, "Gee, that doesn't look <laughs> like uh, I can't find a I can't find a running back on." It. Okay, so that yeah, that kid. Well, I, we I hate to say this, and it almost sounds flip. He might as well not have been there uh, last year. Right, I thought the way that game went, they, they just didn't create any uh, any seams that I could see at all. And they couldn't run away from anybody. I mean, I just thought, you know, that was uh, – they just were overwhelmed with uh, with the athleticism, I thought, uh, in that game. And, and as we saw, you know, Derek Carr really had a tough game, and yet he's, uh, you know, in the NFL, he's been a real bright spot from what everything you hear, people saying, gosh, he's really good. But uh, that he was just kind of overwhelmed, I thought, by the USC having somebody in his face on on every play. Yeah, I mean, he's. Re- I got to see him a bunch of times last year. He was really good, and they, they probably played their worst. But the USC defense played so well. I don't know if there was much he could do. But if you look at this Fresno State offense, Dan, and and this is going to be something for Tim DeRuiter, who I like a lot as the coach there. Um, there's still a lot of guys that are Pat Hill guys that are playing. And the whole offense, there's only one underclassman, one sophomore listed as a starter. Everyone else is a junior or a senior. So there's a lot of guys on this team with experience on the offense. So even though Derek Carr's gone and you lost a couple you know, NFL receivers, um, you know, Josh Harper's coming back. He's a senior uh, receiver, and he'll be a favorite target. Uh, either one, Burrell or Kinnett, I mean, we'll see how they play. Uh, but there's a lot of experience on this uh, uh, Fresno State offense, so USC fans shouldn't, you know, just l- overlook it. But this defense is going to be a lot better. There's some guys coming back from injury. I think the defense will be improved over last year. But I, I just think the USC defense, for my money, is going to be too good. Even though there's experienced offense for Fresno State, it's just not going to. They're just not going to give up points. Just like, same thing last year when they had Derek Carr. But I do think it's going to be tougher for this USC offense to score. So it'll be a challenge. I feel for Cody Kessler and the group. They'll be playing a pretty tough defense. Well, I think that's a, that's exactly what you want. I think they need to be pushed and they need to be able to, you know, put it all together and uh, and get that kind of a push. You don't want, you know, a, it's a complete, uh, you know, team that just can't compete with you at all because that really doesn't get you ready for Stanford. So I think they do want somebody to come out and really push them. And I think Sark said it, you know, even though he couldn't get uh, Tim DeRuiter's name right the other day, (laughs) he did get it right, I think, when he said they're going to come out with their hair on fire because they knew 
coming out the way they did in Las Vegas didn't work at all. So those kids are all going to remember that game. Not so much a revenge thing, just the idea that if we don't play, you know, absolutely to the best of our – I mean, just go as hard as we can, you know, we're going to get smoked. And so I think, you know, those Fresno kids are going to come out, and they're, you know, as you say, the, the patio kids and they're tough kids, and, and they're going to come out and, uh, and and not back off, I don't think, at all. And and so I think, I think again, for that reason, I think it's just a great opener for USC. I just think it's exactly the kind of team you want to open with. It's nice that it'll maybe 10,000 or so Fresno fans come down, and that'll be great too. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really – Good atmosphere in the Coliseum, and the Fresno fans are very passionate. I've been up to a bunch of their games, and I think you know, talked to a lot of people that are traveling down for this one. So it should be a, a really interesting one, Dad. Well, thanks, thanks for coming on, and uh, we appreciate it. We're so happy that we're all part of the same USCFootball.com team again, Dan. And uh, it was great stuff. And thanks for finding the running back. I'm going to go back and uh, <laughs> go back and get a new death chart because uh, we we're on a, a, a conference call with Coach Deruder this morning, so. Uh, Good. I'm glad. Uh, that's a, a question you don't want to ask is, uh, do you have a running back? <laughs> that would be <laughs> Thank bad. <you. laughs> don't ask Coach McIntyre. Right? Make sure you ask uh, Coach DeRuiter there. So. <laughs> oh, that's right. That would be a good – we should do that. Someone should ask uh, – have a question. I've got a question for Coach McIntyre. <laughs> that would go well. All right. Well, thanks, Dan. And uh, everyone else, thanks. We're going to be back in a minute talking to Coach Harvey Hyde here on the Peristyle Podcast. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans. To get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. We're back with Coach Harvey Hyde joining the show. What's going on, Coach? How are you doing? Everything is just wonderful. It's game uh, week, and uh, this is when everybody gets fired up and the momentum starts to build, and everyone can't sleep. In fact, I went over to salute to Troy on Sunday or Saturday uh, night, afternoon, and everybody, even the alumni, the coaches, the administration, the players, everyone was in a real great mood. And uh, and that, this is the time of year that brings everybody together, Ryan, brings the student body together, the parents, the alumni, the past teams that are honored, the new players, the recruits. It's a, it's a great time of the year. It gives us a lot of opportunities to get fired up and talk about football and and, and all of our fans out there, our listeners out there, our coaches out there, and you can't believe, I, I want to say thank you to all of you that made comments uh, that they listened to this podcast. I want to thank you very much for listening. We appreciate it very much, and and uh, we hope you continue to do that. We certainly do, Coach, and want to thank our sponsor for this segment, like they've been for the many, many years, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com, or call them at one 800 888 7287. If you need tickets for anything, you want to go to a sporting event, Angels, Dodgers, whatever, what's going on here in Southern California across the country, go to sctickets.com and they will hook you up. And uh, coach, it's game week. Got to see a red turf football game over the weekend, which I don't know, Eastern Washington and Sam Houston State or something, but it was still football, still college football. 
And I watched it, you know, like most people probably did. Uh, but Fresno State coming in, got to talk to Dan Weber about this a little bit about he thinks it's a really good opponent, um, you know, someone that's going to test USC, someone, you know, they, they won 11 games last year. Wanted to get your overall thoughts going into this USC-Fresno State game. Well, I think it's always exciting to open your season, especially at home with a new football coach, a new offense, a new defense, a new staff. Everybody's uh, anxious to see exactly the – hurry-up offense. We've had a chance to see it in practices and scrimmages, but most people have it. And uh, USC is very optimistic. Coach Sarkeesian is very optimistic. Uh, and uh, I, too, am excited about seeing them play Fresno State. As far as uh, Fresno State being a, a, a big-time opponent, I think they'll be strong. They always are for the Mountain West Conference. They're not afraid to play anybody. They've lost a lot of players, but they've got eight starters back on defense and I think five starters back on offense. Um, but they don't have back two, two key players. And one's Derek Carr, and the other's a great receiver. When you lose those type of punches, uh, I'll tell you, it's tough, tough to bounce back. Plus, they won a lot of, they won a lot of close games last year. Ryan, a lot of close games, last-minute game, one-point games in the opening game of the year against Rutgers. They won a close game. So, you know, I think Fresno State's an outstanding football program, but it's not one that I don't believe they can come to the Coliseum and play uh, in front of a home crowd that's all fired up and the players are fired up and, and beat USC. Uh, USC is a 21-and-a-half-point favorite. At least they were last week. I don't know what they are this week, and I think that's about right. And I expect that type of victory. Uh, if uh, they still win and they don't cover, that's fine with me. You always got to get the W. But let's be realistic. If you don't beat Fresno State, you don't beat anybody. And uh, I think that you have to take one game at a time, and you have to prepare for that team. And you have to think that's the biggest game of the year. And you have to be good enough to go out and beat teams you're supposed to beat. Because the second week, they take on Stanford. So, you know, if you don't play well against Fresno State, you're trying to correct things you didn't play well on. And you can't really spend the time that's necessary to get ready for, I think, one of the best teams in the country as far as being hard-nosed team. Very hard-nosed team. Very similar to Michigan State. Very similar to those type of teams that line up and want to smash mouth you. So uh, I think that the Fresno State game is, is going to be a very, very important challenge for USC. It's, there's a lot of momentum going into the game. One thing I'm looking forward to see, what time is, what type of second-half team USC is this year. Uh, in the past, they have not been a great second-half team. Uh, if they go in at halftime tied, well, I want to see how they come out in the second half and take that challenge on, especially the third quarter. If they're up 30 to zip at halftime, I want to see them come back and see if they're complacent or if they come back and want to cut your head off in the third quarter and have the other team throw the white towel out there and after the game walk across the field and say, you know what, you're really good. We had no excuses. So I'm looking forward to see what type of second-half team USC is this year. Uh, in the past, as you know, and all of our listeners, they haven't been one to finish. You've got to be able to finish. You've got to be able to play consistent the entire game. They've got some depth. They've got some outstanding freshmen that have come in and given them a, a great lift as far as the positiveness that's on campus at USC and the team, the way they've molded together. 
And I think this first game is really going to demonstrate just how much work they've done in the offseason, how much they believe in each other, and go out and dominate. They dominated a Fresno State last year in the Las Vegas Bowl, and I expect that same thing to happen. Uh, all right, thanks for that, Coach. Let's go to Melvin. Had a question about the game, too, and, and replacing Derek Carr. He said, I heard that Coach Sarkeesian say, Tuesday was a, a day off, but Wednesday be, will, be, will be the start of game preparation for the season opener. So he was talking about actually last week. Um, they started prepara- uh, preparing probably, um, I don't know, I guess the middle of last week, Coach, and then over the weekend they kind of did a, a mock game, mock scrimmage. They have a walkthrough on Monday, and then they're starting the regular game week practices uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, walkthrough Friday. So they're kind of back in the swing of things. But um, he wants to know, what should we expect from Fresno State without Derek Carr as quarterback? Do you think they're still going to be a quote-unquote passing team without Carr? And do you think Coach Stark will hold some strategies back in preparation for the Stanford game? That's Melvin. Well, I think you got to be who you are. You don't change your personality. Fresno State, uh, you know, they've had a great record over the last couple of years. There's something like 26, and I don't know what they are, 10 or something under uh, DeGruyter, DeGruyter and uh, Tim DeGruyter, yeah. Uh, yeah, I had to stop. I had to start a little bit on that. <laughs> and uh, um, they, you know, they they believe in what they do. They're not going to change in what they do because they believe in what they do, and they've had great success. You know, last year they just lost one game and almost went to a BCS bowl game. So uh, they're not going to change anything. They're going to throw the football. In fact, that transfer from Duke that came in, uh, I see, did not beat out the, the kid that was there, so he's going to be number two. So this kid has more experience in the offense, and, and I think that uh, – Fresno State is a, is a well-coached football team. They're very well-coached, and they'll play hard. But uh, I think that uh, USC has a great secondary, a great defense, and I think they'll be able – they go against the same type of offense every day. They see it. They understand it. It isn't like it's something they have to get ready for, the hurry-up offense in any way. It's a different type of preparation this year than last year. These guys have seen it and seen it since the spring as far as what they're going against. Now, Fresno State has a pretty good secondary. they got a possible All-American safety. They have, all, I think, four starters back in the secondary. They've got good linebackers. Uh, but that's not the same level of what USC or the Pac-12 is. And now they'll play good people, and they'll play them well. But I think that SC just has more athletes than Fresno State. And when you have more athletes, you're supposed to win. And uh, I think that's the challenge that Fresno State has. They, When we played teams like this, we would say, we got to play a good game. We don't want to get anybody hurt. If they screw it up, we got a chance. Now, if SC screws it up, they have a chance. But if SC does play well and brings their game and executes, they don't have a chance. So the best thing to do is get in and get out if you're visiting a place like the Coliseum. And one thing they said yesterday or, or Saturday at the Salute Detroit, Coach Sarkeesian wants to bring back the intimidation of the Coliseum. Playing in the Coliseum used to be intimidating. Nobody wanted to come and play in the Coliseum because when they came, they brought their coffins with them because they knew they were going to get not only lose the game, but they were going to lose some people. Well, he wants to get that back. He wants to get that where people were afraid to play on the road in L.A. 
in the last couple of years, people have come into the Coliseum and beaten USC, and they've lost that intimidation that the Coliseum has. The tradition of the Coliseum, the, uh, the Olympic Games, the World Cup, all the things they've had in that arena. He wants to bring that back, and I think the way you bring it back is you, you're the hammer and you're not the nail. You don't let up. You, you get after people. If your second team gets in there, you don't not throw the football because you, you're up on somebody. You allow your players to play at the same intensity and level, and you, and you go for what you have to do. So uh, this is the way I look at that. Uh, all right. That's for Melvin. And then uh, do, you, do you think that he's going to hold any strategies back going into Stanford was the other part of it? Yeah, I think he will. You don't ever show it all. You don't all show it all. What you're going to try to do is run your basic stuff and keep people honest. And you want people to know you do have a reverse. You do you do have a jet sweep, and you do have some of these things to go to the outside. Sure, you're going to run your basic offense, but you're not going to show it all. And you know they don't have a whole lot of plays that they run. They just execute them correctly. And if you have better players, and your players execute the plays better than they can defensively, you're going to win. You don't want to beat yourself. Don't make it too complicated. Don't have your players thinking. Let your players play. So, you know, he'll he'll bring in uh, a certain amount of his offense, and he always had your offense as the year goes along. But as far as doing what you have to do, you're going to do what you have to do to win. But you're supposed to win the games you're supposed to win, and then when you have a challenge like Stanford, you want to go up there and you want to be prepared, and you want to be able to play the type of games that's necessary to beat a team such as Stanford. But Stanford's going to be a great football team. They've learned how to win. They've been to three BCS Bowl games in a row. FC beat them last year. You're playing them up there. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say there's a hate between each other, but I'll tell you what, there's a real uh, uh, competitiveness against both schools. And I think... Uh, Everybody understands that, the Stanford side and the SC side. And this is a key game as far as for the Pac-12. You can't lose in the Pac-12, or you can't lose if you're planning on playing for the Pac-12 championship or if in the uh, Rose Bowl or in the, the foot college football playoffs. So it's a huge game, but every game's a huge game. And this is what they have to get ready for. And then just one clarification, Coach. Uh, I don't know if something might have changed over the last couple hours, but – uh, as at this point, Fresno State hasn't named their starting quarterback. Uh, we talked about this a little earlier on the show. So they have uh, Brian Burrell, who's a JC transfer that's come in, and it was it looked like he was going to take over for Derek Carr. He was there in the spring. Then over the summer, Brandon Kanet uh, comes in from Duke, the transfer who will be doing grad school at Fresno State. And they're still battling, as far as I know at this point. The depth chart came out, uh, and I believe it was today, and there's, they're both listed as or, so USC fans know the or thing. So they still don't have a starting quarterback named yet, as far as I know. Well, uh, that's good as far as if you're USC. Because uh, the team, uh, when you don't have a starting quarterback name at this time, that means either they're both not very good or they're both average, but they don't think they're both great, okay? <laughs> so, I mean, nothing against these young men, but – SC has gone through that with not naming the starting quarterback, and your players do not become accustomed, your offensive unit, to a, a leader, a guy that steps in the huddle and they gain confidence from. Right now when Cody Kessler steps in the huddle, there's no question about what's going on. And I think it hurts you when you don't name a starting quarterback. So right now they're in that period of time, Fresno State, uh, of, of deciding what, what's happening here, and, and that doesn't help 
your offensive side of the football when you really don't know who the man is. And and uh, I hope they're both good players. I, I mean, as far as the kids are concerned, I know that he started three games at Duke last year before he transferred in. But playing at Duke or playing, I know Duke plays good football and they had a great year and they almost beat Texas A&M in the bowl game. I know all of that, okay? So you have to tell me that Duke plays great football. But I'm saying to come to the Coliseum and go against USC, you better have a quarterback who's got experience because they're going to come after you. And I'll tell you, they're quick on defense. And they did it against Fresno State last year. Derek Carr looked like a reindeer in headlights last year in that Las Vegas Bowl. I don't know if people agree with me or not, but he had never seen that type of team speed in the Mountain West Conference, okay? Well, he's going to see that again Saturday, the new guy. So we'll see what happens. We definitely will. Um, and then, Coach, uh, the USC depth chart came out last night. I don't know if you got a chance to take a look at it, um, but I can kind of walk you through. But Tarek had a question and wanted to get your thoughts. He says, what's going on at Sam Linebacker? Is Quentin Powell starting there, or is Scott Felix playing one side and J.R. Tavai playing the other? And what about Sua Cravens? And I'll just give you the, the rundown. It came out that J.R. Tavai was starting at the rush linebacker side, or the rush end side, and uh, Scott Felix, who was formerly Scott Starr, was named as the starting uh, Sam backer. But it was interesting that Quentin Powell, who was really competing for that Sam linebacker spot with uh, Jabari Ruffin, before he got injured, it looked like those guys were 1-1A. One one uh, now it's Scott Felix listed there, and Uchenna and Wusu, the true freshman, listed second with Quinton Powell listed third. So that was kind of one of the surprises of, I guess, the release of the depth chart. And they have Sua Cravens listed as the uh, starting uh, strong safety. But kind of want to get your thoughts on, on all that as far as the depth chart goes, Coach. Well, I think when you have a depth chart, and you've heard me, how many times have you heard me tell you guys, get your best players on the field, the best players that play the defense, the best players help you win football games, not watching you play football games? I think now what they've decided in the staff meetings, they want to get their best players, most experienced players on the field. And right now it's Felix and Tavai. Not that the other guys can't play. They'll play. They'll play in their special positions when they need certain type of techniques done. Powell, Powell's a great football player, can run, do different things than maybe Felix does. So uh, I think the freshman players have really come along. I think Tucker and these other freshman players, I'm not going to go through all that now because everybody's been talking about, have been able to perform at a point of where they feel they can rest, uh, rest a starter or compete if somebody goes down. Of course, they're not at the same level. So I think what USC is trying to do is get their best players on the field, uh, most experienced players. And uh, I respect that 100%. Some players have got to sit back and wait for their opportunity. And like I always say, you're one play away from playing. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. But that, that's just a depth chart. Remember, that's just a depth chart. That doesn't mean what you're going to play during the game or on third down. You're not going to substitute, take Star out and put Powell in because he can cover better, because he's faster. That's just a depth chart as far as, you know, first and 10 or something, depending where your field position is. Yes, I mean, as as former coach, I mean, that's something I wanted to ask about because there's a lot of stuff. I mean, they had Hayes Pillard listed as one of the kickoff return guys. There's some interesting stuff in the depth chart that you don't think will be the actual rotation. But as a head coach, you had to put something like that out. But you knew that maybe, like, the backup center wouldn't go in if the center got hurt because you'd move, like, the left guard over and you do or something like that. Um, I mean, is that was it kind of like a necessary evil? You had to put that out, but it, it wouldn't. You wouldn't follow it per se. 
No, you're exactly right, Ryan. You're, you're, you're understanding the game and what you do. You want everybody to be on the depth chart. You see some people lined up on SE's depth chart at number three right tackle that I didn't even know who he was. <laughs> and, and, and don't get me wrong, nothing against the kid. But, you know, you try to get all your players on the, on the, on the depth chart. They've worked their tail off. You want to be able to see them at a position, and they want to see themselves at a position. After going through fall camp, wouldn't you want to see your name on a depth chart somewhere where you actually people know who you are or respect you or you can prove to your girlfriend that you are on the football team and your family feels good about it for all the hours you've been putting in the football, even if though you're a walk-on, you're on the depth chart. So you see a lot of players on the depth chart. And you're right, right? What you do is you move the players around. Like uh, Logan Todd will come to play center probably if something happens to uh, Turek. Uh, he's played center, and they made the decision to play him at guard because they want their best players in their interior line yeah. at one time. He's actually so, listed, you know, to, be, to be fair, huh? he's actually listed as the backup. I guess that's a bad example because he's really one of those guys listed as the backup center too. But there's other spots where, you know, like on the defensive line, there's some things like that could happen where if some guy goes down, it doesn't necessarily mean the number two guy comes in, they move someone else over. There's a better number two guy somewhere else who doesn't play the position where the guy got hurt. He ends up moving up to first team, and, and one of the first team guys moves over. You got it, buddy. You got it. Because, but uh, you want to get everybody's name uh, on the depth chart. And, and, you know, the kids understand that. They've been practicing that. And when they have closed practices, they go through all that type of stuff. And they talk about it in staff meetings. And the kids understand everything. But you want to have kids on the depth chart so they feel good about themselves and you feel good to be able to give them that opportunity. All right. Um, Coach, we had one last question for you. This is Earl in West L.A. It's not really about this team, but, well, I guess it's kind of like looking forward with the officiating. So he wants to know, because I'm ready for the season opener by watching a repeat of the Stanford game. I'm getting ready for the season opener. Excuse me. Watching a repeat of the Stanford game, USC Stanford. Couldn't help but notice that early in the second quarter, there was an officiating gaffe when third down and one play, Stanford appeared to be stopped by the Trojans. The officials took a measurement. And on national television, the point of the ball was clearly one, possibly as much as two inches behind the yard marker. In, uh, in spite of the obvious, the Pac-12 officials signaled first down for Stanford. Kirk Herbstreet and Brett Musburger were in disbelief and had them replay to make sure what they saw was not a first down. My question is, what, if anything, has been done to improve the quality of officiating in the conference during the offseason? Well, you know, uh, I know Tony Carretti pretty well. In fact, he was the official. If you watched the game yesterday, he got knocked down. Yeah. Uh, run into that. That's the uh, coordinator of officials for the Pac-12. And uh, he's doing his very best. I've sat with him uh, when he evaluates uh, officials at the Coliseum when they're working. Uh, he's try- You know, he's got him in the physical training. He's, he's trying to do his very best to, to get the best officials that he can have for the Pac-12. Uh, things like that that happen uh, are unbelievable. But again, the crew should step in. Now, you know, you've got more than two eyes. One guy signaling first down. You got six or eight other guys that are whatever they. I don't know what they're using. How many crews? There's some conferences are going eight officials, but they can look in and say, let's remeasure that uh, that that isn't correct and and, and correct it. Or from the booth, they should call on and correct it. They shouldn't allow that type of thing to, to continue. As far as officials are concerned and the improvement of officials, 
I agree with you. It means so much today, a play or a call that can make the difference in a ball game or a championship or a coach's firing that you've got to have it right. I think they're going about it the right way as far as the replays and being able to correct some calls. The game is so fast, as you hear me talk about it, that it's just humanly impossible at times to see it all, and you don't see the entire play. But on a measurement, hey, man, there's no excuse for that. I mean, you know, you've got a timeout when you measure it, and you can see it, you're looking six feet down or however tall you are down to the ground, or, and, and you shouldn't miss things like that. That, that. that doesn't happen, okay? I'd have thrown my red flag out. I don't know if you can challenge that or not. <laughs> I have no idea, but I'd have thrown it out and said, let's do that again. But uh, those things happen. I've seen those things happen. I lost a football game against the Raging Cajuns. When our guy caught the caught a touchdown pass, it wasn't even close. He was two yards inbounds, and they called him out. This is true. Wow. When I was at UNLV and later, I found out the guy was part of their booster club. Uh, I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, I've never heard of anything like that. And I can say it now because I'm not going to get fined or, <laughs> or, or thrown out of the league. But that's true. Travel with the team out and ran the game. So it was a non-conference game. And he officiated the game. Wow. Okay, but those things, not they don't happen anymore like that. Right. But those things have happened, you know. Well, they, if, fairly recently they had stuff like that happen where the guys that were running the clocks uh, and, and some of the replay officials could be, you know, boosters of the team. They were, like it was a home team kind of decision. It was, it was It's not like you're, you're running the footballs out there. These are actually officials that were taking part of the game, not the officials on the field. But like the replay booth guys and the clock operator guys, I think USC had a Stanford problem, and I think I think it was in Arizona. Yeah, one of the guys at Arizona was like an Arizona booster, and he was doing like the replays or something, something like that. But that wasn't that long ago. No, no, that can, it can make a big difference in the clock. You know, if your team is ahead or behind or whatever it is, you can always move that little clicker. I don't know if anybody's seen that little clicker that you move. If you just move it a little bit, just a little bit. <laughs> Here and there, you get an extra second here or there down the line. But I'm not saying people do that. I'm just saying I remember those things uh, have happened before. All right. Well, Coach, great stuff. We appreciate this. And the next time we talk to you, it will be post-game. We'll be able to talk about actual college football. Really excited for that. So thanks very much, Coach, and we will talk to you soon. And, and Ryan, before I go, I'd just like to say this to our listeners out there. Uh, during the game, I always tweet out at the end of every quarter how I feel about the game. And I don't know if people want to know this or not, but I always feel about what's happening, what they need to do. And you can follow that at Coach Harvey Hyde, at Coach Harvey Hyde. And a lot of people, if you don't mind, I'd like to say that the pregame show I do for USC has changed from last year. I'm on four hours before the game for two hours, just so people know that. And... The Trojan Brunt Show on Sunday mornings, these were both on ESPN, is still going to be from 8 to 10. And if you really want to know what I think, immediately following the game, in Las Vegas, they carry the Trojans. I do a post-game show immediately following the game on KSHB Radio. You just go in kshb.com and pull up program and, and hit it live, and I'll be doing a post-game show. If you can't wait. That's if you just can't wait. Yes. That, then you could do it that way, too. But I just wanted to pass it on to all of you, and I want to thank all of you for 
all your nice comments. And for you that are mad at me, I apologize. <laughs> and, Ryan, it's always great to be a part of your team. Thank you so much, Coach. It's great to have you on. And check them out. All You can hear them before the game, after the game, the next day after the game. Coach Harvey hides everywhere. And, of course, two days after the game here on the Peristyle Podcast. So thanks, Coach. Thanks, everyone else, for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We have a special one coming up. We're going to do a Fresno State preview with a couple of Fresno State writers uh, later on this week. So check out peristylepodcast.com for more of that. Otherwise, we will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Peristyle.